Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. In today's show, we look at the second chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foully to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 2 almost feels like a, I don't know if interlude is the right word here. It's it's a continuation of the ending of chapter 1, where Paul talks about how he did not bring God's word to the wise and the powerful or the nobly born, there's this contrast, the foolishness of God and the strength of men, the wisdom of men, that even the least of God surpasses the best of us. And this chapter continues that theme coming right out of the start of it. Ultimately getting us in verse two to something that I think A lot of people know this verse. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If that's the simplest of of the words, it's not true. Right? Paul knew more. Paul knew how to breathe. Paul knew how to walk. Paul knew how to talk. He knew other teachings of Jesus, and he was sharing those other teachings too. The point that Paul is driving home here in verse 2 is, is that that is the aim of everything. 
Just as Jesus on the road to Emmaus takes the disciples that he's walking with and he shows them how all of the Old Testament was pointing to him and what he was doing for them, what he had just done for them. This is true of everything. All of life points us to Christ. In the good times, we rejoice in God's wonderful creation that he provides for us and cares for us, which points us ultimately to the care he has provided by sending his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. In the moments of our suffering, we are pointed to Christ. We are pointed to his sufferings that he endured for our sake, on our behalf. So whether it's good or bad, we are pointed to Christ. In all things, we are pointed to Christ. And that is Paul's point with this verse that everything is going to be used by him to teach people about Jesus. Verse 3, it's not how we normally think of Paul, is it? I know when I think of Paul, I think of a, a man who must have been an incredible preacher, who had great courage to be willing to confront the different groups that he did, to endure the beatings that he did. I think of a man who wrote 13 books of our New Testament. I mean, in my own mind, I guess I hold Paul up as being one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived. And yet, how does Paul talk about himself? And it's not just here, but regularly. There's a humility to Paul, which is something for us to consider, certainly. But ultimately, even that points us to Jesus, because Paul and Philippians chapter 2 is going to point us to the humility of Christ that we would have this mind among ourselves, which is actually how this chapter ends. We have the mind of Christ. But Paul shows us his sin here. Weakness, fear, trembling. His fear and trembling, that's sin. Uh, to, to be afraid of what might happen to him is not trusting in the Lord and in his provision and in his promise. Paul is not afraid to let his hearers know. He's not afraid to let the people in his church know that he isn't perfect. And this is a good thing because he's not pointing them to him. He's pointing them to Christ. And so even this great hero of the scriptures in that way, which he ends up not being the only hero of the scriptures, ends up being God himself for us. But this, this wondrous man that we might uplift sometimes, oftentimes, he points straight beyond himself. He lowers himself so that instead of getting your eyes fixed on him, your eyes become fixed on Christ. And that was in chapter 1, right? Verse 30, or sorry, verse 12. What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas. Paul doesn't want them fixed on him. Look beyond Paul. Look beyond me. Look to Jesus. His weakness could be a reference to the, the physical beatings that he's endured at this point, or he could be talking about spiritually as he is still a sinner. But as that paragraph really wraps up, as Paul continues this, not in words of wisdom, not the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, Talk to your children about this one. How does this encourage you to share the gospel? 
Because that's the goal here. I, I can't help but see. The beauty of sharing the gospel isn't up to me. Yes, God works through me as God works through you. But it's not about us. It's not really even up to us. It doesn't depend on us. We don't, we don't have the heavy lifting to do. Christ has already done that. We get to share simply with others what Christ has done for us, and by extension, what he has done for them. And, you know, if they reject that, they reject that. If they hear that, they hear that, and that's wonderful. Verse 6 is going to start a section on talking about imparting wisdom. So we've seen wisdom already in the, in the book, but the wisdom here, not of men, but of God. And it's a secret wisdom. It's a hidden wisdom, as we're going to see in verse 7. But before we leave verse 6, the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God are contrasted. The wisdom of this world is passing away. Our sinful nature has a hard time hearing that. There's a lot of wisdom in this world, some of it good, some of it not so much. But none of it matters. It's all passing away. This gets back to verse 2. Desire to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. The hidden secret wisdom of God that we're about to talk about, that's the wisdom that matters. Because it points us to Christ and to salvation and to the life that we have with him in paradise. And so as Paul then gets into this secret hidden thing, you see the quote in verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Think about every faith, every religion in this world, apart from, well, even at that, just a subset of Christianity the vast majority of, of faith in this world is self-driven. You have to do something. And sadly, we see that in a lot of Christianity anymore, and in in a lot of history as well. But the Christian faith is not up to you. It's not about your action. It's not about what you do. It's about what's been done for you. It's Forgiveness is not earned. It's given. The human sinful nature wants to do something. We want to make our way ourselves. We want to stand on our own two feet, and we can't. Our, our, our hearts could not imagine that the wisdom of God, this wonderful gift of God, would be that, that it would be a gift, that paradise would be a gift instead of earned. The hidden secret wisdom of God. Verse 11 could be a good conversation to have with your kids. Uh, it's a simple analogy, a simple conversation, really, the idea that only the person knows that person's own thoughts, the spirit within you. So we are 
body and spirit or body and soul, however you want to phrase that. And I don't know another person's thoughts. I only know what they share with me and I take them at their word. It's all I can do. But I know my own thoughts and deeply disturbed by them. But when we talk about this with our kids, it can be helpful. See who they think knows their thoughts. Do you think your parents know your thoughts? Do you think your teachers know your thoughts? They don't. But God does because the Spirit of God is within you. So it's an interesting way to turn the conversation. And it's a good thing. We probably would drive that to fear sometimes. Our sinful nature would drive that to fear. I don't want God to know what's going on in my mind. But at the same time, we have a Lord who loves us and died for us. And so for him to care for us, to know our thoughts, to know our needs, and to provide for us is a blessing. As we look at verse 12, those secret hidden things, the wisdom of God that is yours in Christ is freely given to you by God. Verse 13, uh, the spiritual truth opposed to that worldly truth. The world has rejected and even killed the Christ. So there's no point in clinging to worldly truth, but instead spiritual truth, the good that we have from the Lord, that wisdom that we were just talking about. Verse 14 mentions the natural person. Interesting phrase, but you can think of the human nature. You can even talk to your kids about the human nature. This is actually, you should talk to your children. Let me, th- let me rephrase that. You should talk to your children about the human nature. Because in our society and in our schools, our children are taught that they are by nature good. Don't let somebody tell you you're bad. Don't let somebody say you're bad at doing something. You are basically good. That is an overarching theme. Pride, self-esteem, these are big issues in our, in our children's upbringing, and they're not scriptural. They are things of this world. And so it's a good conversation to have with our children. Where does your worth actually come from? It comes from God who made you and who loved you so much he died for you. It doesn't come from you. It comes from his love for you. Where should our pride be? We saw that in chapter 1. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord, not in himself. So that is a worthwhile conversation. Our human nature is actually sinful. Ever since Adam and Eve rejected God in the garden, We have had what we call original sin. If you want to look at it, look at it this way. When you're first conceived, which direction are you pointed? Are you pointed toward God? And there are some Christians who say that you are. Are you kind of in a neutral, gray, hazy area? There's some Christians who say you are. Or are you fully inclined? Are you fully pointed toward your sin? And original sin would say that last one. 
You are fully opposed to God from the time you've been conceived. That is your human nature now. It wasn't the way God first made his creation, but it is the way that we are in the fall. And so this phrase in verse 14 of the natural person is actually a reference to anyone who's still apart from God, who still has that, that orientation, that pointing only towards sin and not towards the Lord. It is by repentance that we turn away from sin and we turn to the Lord. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can repent. The Holy Spirit creates faith in us and nurtures faith in us. Now, the last word of verse 14, spiritually discerned, note the word pair then into 15, the spiritual person judges. To judge and to discern, those words can be synonyms. Discern, is this right or wrong? Judge, is this right or wrong? Is it right to hit your sister? That's judging or discerning right from wrong. So these things are sometimes similar words, not always. Judging can have a deeper deeper application to God's righteous judgment over heaven and earth. Now, as we look at that last part, so the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. So the Christian is to judge and discern everything, discern good and evil, discern light and darkness, discern things for the sake of yourself and your neighbor that we could be pointed to Christ. A Christian is not to be judged. So the study Bible here suggests that that actually then is a reference. No one at the end of that verse is a reference to the natural people in verse 14. I don't, I struggle with this one. Uh, it's possible Another possibility, though, is to actually just reread the sentence here. The spiritual person judges all things. Who is actually spiritual? Who is it that will be judged by no one? And there's only one. And that's Jesus. Which gets us into what verse 16 says. Which brings us to a quote about Jesus and ultimately to having the mind of Jesus the mind of our shepherd, which gets us back to the theme where chapter three is going to take off from the idea of division in their church.